0: The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.
1: This morning we'll be reading out of 1 Peter um, chapter 3, verses 13-17. through It um, be, should be on the screen behind me, or you can use the Bible under your chairs. It should be on page 1016. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be god's will than for doing evil so uh funny thing happens
0: it's the last time i stood in front of you guys Uh, It was, uh, if you don't, a lot of you know the story already, but if you don't know, uh, I guess it was two Wednesdays ago. It feels like a lot longer than that, but two Wednesdays ago, I was up in Charlotte with a couple of guys here from DOXA at a regional pastors meeting, and I get a text from Megan saying, I need you to take a phone call uh, right now. Can you pull out of the meeting? And so I pulled out of the meeting, and she put me on a conference call with our caseworker. We've been uh, in the process of adoption, uh, waiting for adoption uh, through DSS for a, a long time. And, uh, and it's been so long that we just like, didn't even know if anything would ever happen with it, honestly. Like, it, we kept it going, we had to renew the whole thing, and, but it, we're just kind of waiting and waiting and waiting, and if you don't know, we have an 11-year-old daughter and an eight-year-old son, and uh, the, the lady came on the phone and she said, well, uh, we have a baby that was born on May the 2nd, and she's gonna be at your house on Friday. <laughs> Uh, so, we went from zero to baby in 48 hours. And just to give you a perspective of how long it's been, this is my favorite. Some of you guys have heard this, uh, my favorite stat. This is how long it's been since we've had a baby in the house. Uh, the year that uh, Sophia was born, the last time we had an infant, was the year that the iPhone came out. Uh, so, uh, it's, uh, things are very different. I mean, the, what Justin said to me while we, while we were up there he is, hey, you know, Randy, a newborn, and he would know they have like a six week old I think, and he said uh, you, randy, a newborn 's a young man 's game and, and and i am uh, <laughs> I, i've become more and more aware of that as the past couple of weeks have gone on. Um, those uh, nights man i 've forgotten that uh, long nights, uh, lots of diapers, so I, actually, what I really wanted to do a sermon this morning on is how to change a diaper and uh, the dangers of spit up and some other things like that, but uh, I'm not going to do that. We're going to stick to the text, uh, but um, it's been fun preparing. It's been a new, whole new role for me, so pray for me as we roll through this this morning. We're in our series, The Upside Down Kenan, which is on First Peter, and as Torrance read for us, we're in verses 13 through 17 of First Peter chapter 3. What Peter's been doing and what he is doing now is he's really laying out for the church, for us and for the church here in Asia Minor, which is the churches that he's writing to, he's laying out what does it look like to be in a church in the middle of a hostile environment? What does it look like to be the church in the middle of a hostile environment? See, the, the churches in Asia Minor are, we're not sure exactly what it was, but they were suffering a persecution. Because the people around them did not understand why they were so radically different, these people who were once just like them, people who were mostly not Jews. And so they were worshiping any number of idols, following any number of pagan religions. And now all of a sudden, they've heard the story about this Jewish peasant who was killed and now they say is risen again. And they're worshiping him as Lord. And they're saying there is no other God beside him. And not only saying that, but that. Worship of him is radically changing the way that they're living their lives. They, they treat their money differently. They treat their families differently. They treat their approach to sex differently. They, preach all, they approach all of their life differently than they used to. And that has created this sort of host, hostile environment where the people around them don't understand why are you living so differently. And they are being persecuted for being different. And so Peter is saying, here's how you live as the church in that kind of environment. And, and that's very important for us as the church because more and more as time goes on, in our even in our society, where a lot of people would still consider us, and we could have a debate about this, a Christian nation, more and more, if to be a believer, to be a, a Christian, like, hey, it's one thing to be a Christian who just happens to say, hey, I go to church occasionally. And if that's you here, like, where you're welcome here, but that is a very different thing between a person who calls himself a Christian because you go to church occasionally or you tacitly agree with the Bible and being a Christian who worships Jesus Christ as Lord and who centers their life around Jesus, who says, what you say, go, and I will bow my knee to you and I will do what you say. I will go where you go and I will follow you and worship you as Lord and not myself, as the, my own king and my own Lord. There's a very big difference between being that kind of Christian and a Christian who tacitly agrees. And now, as to follow Christ in the midst of a culture that's more and more becoming more and more secular or further and further away from what, what we once used to be, it creates this hostile environment. And maybe you felt it in your neighborhood or uh, in your friend group or at, at work and as soon as somebody says like hey you're a Christian aren't you or you say something about church or something comes up you can find, kind of feel it like just like a, a bit of friction in the room right like oh man like they view you differently and you view like everything's weird we're at odds we're, we're, we're different now it's a hostile environment. And so what we have to decide as the church is how do we live life in a culture that is hostile and set against Christianity, which honestly, by the way, every culture is to an extent. It's just becoming more and more obvious and more and more clear in the culture that we live in. And now what we're going to look at today is gonna say a couple of different ways that we can approach that as Christians. One is we can fight culture and we can decide to yell from the, from the rooftops, you guys are going the wrong way. And here's what you should be doing. You guys are, are, have, are, are totally going against the way of God and you're, you're, going, you're, you're just going down to hell as fast as you possibly can and you scream it from the rooftops. And you, what, sometimes that happens, the reason that we do that sometimes, we're gonna see it a little bit more later, is that we do that because we, we wish that culture looked like the way culture used to look. Or, Or we can decide to be so afraid of society, so afraid of a culture that is so different than who we are and does not worship God that we sort of hide away from culture. So we either fight culture and society or we hide away from it. Or sometimes we try to convince them that there's really no difference. I think sometimes we spend a lot of time and energy as individual Christians and as churches to try to convince people, hey, we're just like you are. There's really no difference from you except I go to church on Sunday. There's really not a big difference between us and you except maybe a few minor things. We sort of wanna round off the edges and say there's no difference. But there is a stark difference between Followers of Christ and those who aren't, but how do we approach that? Uh, the The Jews had to deal with this idea whenever they were uh, had they were taken into uh, bondage, they were taken into exile into Babylon from Jerusalem and from Judah, and they were taken into Babylon by these people who were incredible pagans did not worship God at all lived incredibly pagan lives their lives looked nothing like what scripture said that it should look like they did not follow the morals of scripture they were they were they were as far away as you could almost picture from what God calls us to the way God calls us to live in scripture and they were calling down for judgment upon the babylonians for living the way that they were And yet, the prophet Jeremiah came to them in chapter 29 of Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, and he says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, which is a picture that Peter's been giving us all through this book, is, all of this, this letter, is saying that we are living as exiles. We are foreigners, we are sojourners, we are citizens of heaven, but we live here on earth. And he, the prophet Jeremiah said, seek the welfare of this city, this evil city, the city that was set against God. Seek the welfare of that city, that I have sent you in exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. We're going to see that that's what Peter is saying, that the the idea, the 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 feeling of the church should be to the culture that's around us, even whenever it's hostile to our Lord and hostile to Christianity. And so look at verse 13 of 1 Peter 3. Now, right before this, he's been saying that uh, you sh- he's been talking about relationships between uh, how we between those who are uh, under authority to authority, wives to husbands, husbands to wives. And then in uh, those last passage that Jonathan covered last week, he's talking about how we should suffer for righteousness' sake. And now in verse 13, he says, "'Now, who is there to harm you "'if you are zealous for what is good? "'But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, "'you will be blessed. "'Have no fear of them, nor be troubled.'" but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Peter's writing to believers who are experiencing suffering because of their beliefs. They found themselves at odds with the society around them just like we find ourselves at odds with the society around us, and that creates those tensions that we've been talking about. But now, what I wanna bring out here, what I want us to focus on here is an assumption that Peter is making in this passage that we have to really look at before we move on. Peter's making an assumption here that that there is a stark difference between Christians and those who aren't. Peter's assuming that there is a stark difference between those who are Christians and those who aren't. That he's saying that Christians, a Christian is someone who should be zealous. Look at verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Someone who is zealous. The meaning of the word zealous is, is the idea of, of eagerness. It's somebody who's an enthusiast. It, it, it's related to the, actually to the picture of jealousy. It comes from the same root word. Someone who is zealous is also someone who is jealous to see something happen. It means that all of your energy and enthusiasm and excitement is wrapped up on this, this one thing that you are focused on. This this thing that you are zealous or excited or enthusiastic about. It's what you have wrapped your life around. And he says that a Christian, the mark of the life of a Christian, is someone who is zealous and committed enthusiastically to doing what is good. And so what we have to first start off and look at in our own lives and around us in our church is say, are we zealous for what is good? Are our lives markedly different from the people who do not worship Jesus Christ as their Lord? Or are we just slightly more moral? Or are we are more committed to a church? Or is there something drastically different centered on where your heart lies, about where you worship, what you're enthusiastic about, what you're zealous about, what you're jealous for that reorients all of your life? That's the picture of the life of a Christian. As someone who is zealous and jealous to see that Christ be honored in their life above all things and they are reorienting, actively reorienting their life around him and his commands and his ways that their life is centered around worshiping him and nothing else. And when they see parts of their lives that are worshiping other things, that they are constantly reorienting and gathering those things back around Jesus Christ. See, people can be zealous about any number of things, right? Do you have people, think about your friends and neighbors and your family members and think, man, Not everybody is a zealous person, but do I know anybody that's zealous about certain things? You can be zealous about any number of things. It's it's an energy and enthusiasm in the pursuit of something, but a Christian, by definition, is zealous about Jesus. A Christian, by definition, is someone who is enthusiastically committed to Jesus and following him, his will, and his ways, And seeing that Jesus receives the glory through their life that he deserves. Is that the mark of our lives? Even if you are, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But is there a difference in our energy, in our in our enthusiasm, in our enthusiasm from the people around us? Is the your heart desire to emulate your Lord and to follow him and to do what he says when he says? and how he says. If that's not the mark of your life, then first of all, we have to ask the question, have you even, are you actually truly a Christian? Are you one of those people that we were talking about earlier who's a Christian by name or by association? Or is he really your Lord? And if he is your Lord, and your life is not marked by that, what is what is the deal there? What is it that is tripping you up and, causing you to want to worship something other than him and to enthusiastically pursue something other than him. Is there a, a lie that you're buying into saying there's a way to freedom, there's a way to fulfillment, there's a way to life other than following and serving Jesus Christ as my lone lord and savior? See, the first difference in the life of a Christian is a difference in a life focus. A Christian is someone whose life is radically centered around Christ. It's like the, the needle on a compass. You know, a few people own compasses anymore because our phones will do it, right? But that needle of a compass, if you ever played with it, you can turn it around and spin it however you like and that needle is gonna end up pointing back to north. And all of us as Christians, there are certain things in life that come in and cause you to get off focus, right? It could be like, a, it could be anything. It could be sports, it could be a, a new series on Netflix, it could be your career, it could be romance, it could be distraction, just everyday mundane things of life that distract you and pull you away. But what happens in the life of a Christian is whenever you discover, whenever you wake up one day and you realize, man, my life has been off focused, all of a sudden, in, in, out from the innermost depths of who you are, you feel this needle swing back to true north and say, no, I have to reorient my life around Christ. And I, what I have, the way that I do that is by repenting of all the other things that I've allowed to crowd in and pull me away from him. And I re-bow my knee to him as my Lord and Savior. See, I think sometimes as American Christians, we sometimes confuse Jesus giving us our best life for us giving Jesus our best life. I think sometimes as American Christians, we sometimes confuse Jesus giving us our best life for us giving Jesus our best life. Jesus is not a life coach in order for us to realize our fullest potential as human beings, to have the happiest, healthiest, most fulfilling lives that we possibly can as human beings. Jesus is our Lord and our Savior, not our life coach. And the focus of our life, the focus of the life of a Christian is in pleasing our Lord, not ourselves and not the people around us. The core difference between us as Christians and those who are not is a difference in life focus. Where are we pointed with our life? He's going to talk about our hope in a few minutes, and our hope is that All this world is not all there is that one day Christ will return and he will rule and reign and a Christian is working towards that end, not towards today and not towards tomorrow. We're working towards eternity, not a short-term focus. It is a long-term focus and that's what we're looking towards. The, the difference between us and the and the Christian, the people around us, are a life a difference in life focus, but it's also a difference in morals. Who is there to harm you if you're as zealous for what is good? One of the things that he's talking about is that the life of a Christian is morally different than the lives of people around us because our compass points in a different direction. A Christian, at the core of who we are, we're not asking what's allowable, we're asking what's best. God, not what, would you, what, what will you allow me to do with my life? How far can I go? How, how many cuss words can I watch in this show before it becomes something bad? How, how much money can I make? Or how, much, how committed can I be to my career? How much can I play around with pornography? Or how much can I do, be semi-committed to church and to the community of faith? How much can I, without, how much am I allowed to do? But instead of saying, you are my Lord and Savior, and I'm committed to what is best, what you call me to do that is best in my life. I think we give each other as Christians, American Christians, like too many get out of jail free cards. There is no sin that anyone has committed, is committing, will commit, that is, that is not able to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. But that does not make that a cheap thing. That makes that an incredibly costly, A life of a believer is not someone who takes what Christ has done for us lightly. It's someone who takes that incredibly seriously and says, I am gonna be committed to following Jesus and what he says to do with my life. I'm gonna follow him morally. And if, if that requires that I look incredibly different than my own family members, than my, even my fellow church members, my neighbors, my coworkers, my friends, so be it. Because I'm not working for today or tomorrow, I'm working for the long term. Life of a Christian looks morally different than the life of those around us. And there's a difference in our lifestyle. There has to be a difference in the way that we live as Christians. There should be a great difference between the way that we live as Christians if we are truly building our lives around God's command and God's mission. Is your lifestyle built around God's command and God's mission for you? The life of a Christian should be the life of someone who's saying, I'm doing this I fail at this, I'm doing this imperfectly, I follow all the time, but I, as much as I possibly can, I'm pushing all my chips in for God's commands and for God's mission. I'm gonna follow you, whatever it may cost and whatever it looks like. I don't say that. It would have been so incredibly easy for Megan and I to say, you know what? Life is easy or easier than it's ever been at this point. Our kids are to the point where they can kind of sustain themselves a little bit. We can say go get a snack or go get in the car. We can say go upstairs and watch some TV and give us some time. Like it is very simple. It would have been the simplest thing in the world for us just to go forward and on, on autopilot from there but God's, we felt for us that God's command and God's call and it aligned with God's mission toward widows and orphans to bring one into our home and to start over again at 41 years old with diapers and spit up and sleepless nights. People around us, may say, they say you're crazy and we are a little bit crazy, but for us, that was God's command for us and we're gonna follow him. And if that makes our life look different than the people around us, so be it. What is God's command for you? Does your life look different than the people around you? Do people around you look at your life in such a way that they see a difference morally, they see a difference in life focus, and they see a difference in lifestyle, and they do what Peter says in verse 15, and they ask you to make a defense for the hope that is within you. Is there anything that you have to defend your life for? Is my question for you this morning. What in your life are you building and living in such a way that people around you even wonder that you have any different hope or anything to defend at all? Christians should be known for doing good. Christians should be load bearers in our community. Christians above everybody else should be those that says, we that say that we will take on an, another load. We will carry more. We will do more. We will go further. We will walk the extra mile. We will serve those who are who can't give us anything in return. We put all our chips in for the mission of God and, for, and to honor his commands because we aren't living for today or tomorrow, we're living for way down the road. There should be a difference in our lifestyle and if there's not, then we should have a season of repentance to say, God, if there's no reason for anybody around me to ask me for a defense for the hope that is within me, then I need to come to you and bow my knee in repentance and say, God, would you help me to repent of the things that I'm resting on or relying upon other than you? Would you help me to repent of the things that I'm trusting in other than you? And would you help me to reorient my life around you and your commands and your mission? Peter tells us that not only should there be a difference, but that that says that people will wonder when there is a difference, people will wonder about that difference. Verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. That means that there must be a difference and people must be able to see that difference. But instead, oftentimes as, tempt, as Christians, we're tempted to either sink ourselves in with the world or to sever ourselves totally from the world. We wanna be in sync with the world because we don't want anybody to really think we're that all that different. I want you to think that I'm the nice guy. I don't want you to think that I'm judging you. I don't want you to think that, you know, all those, those things that we feel whenever you're in that conversation, and The fact that you're a Christian comes up. Or we do that as a church. We don't want anybody to think that, hey, there's that much difference between us and anybody else. And so we wanna stay in sync with the world or we're tempted to totally sever away from the world and pull away and yell at culture from afar. This side, the side that's in sync with the world offers kindness to the people around us, but no difference. We're kind to them. We're nice to the people around us. Well, there's no difference. The other, when we sever away from the world, that offers difference, but no kindness. The picture that Peter is painting here is that there should be an incredible difference between, between us and the world around us, and yet we should be, in with the world, like Jeremiah 29 says, that we should be caring and seeking the welfare of the people around us. We should be doing good for the people around us. We should be doing good for the city around us. We should be caring and carrying a load. See, here's the truth. Jesus did not come to start a culture war. I'm gonna say that again. Jesus did not come to start a culture war. I'm gonna say this as well. Jesus has... I am convinced that Jesus has no role in the culture war that Christians are now fighting with the culture around us. He didn't come to fight a culture war. He came to win souls, to be sons and daughters and be brought into the family of God. He came to bring to win souls, to bring them into his counter kingdom, a kingdom that actually does last when the kingdom around us do, does not and will not last. A kingdom that offers everlasting hope when the kingdoms around us, the kingdoms of this world, never fulfill the promise of hope. And that's really the difference that Peter is talking about. It's a difference in hope. See, the, the difference that, we, that is between us and the world around us isn't, in the core, it, sh, it shows in the way that we, uh, our life focus, it shows that we're morally different, it shows that our, our lifestyle, but the core, the reason for that difference is because we have a different hope than the people around us. Christians have a different hope. Because that solid hope, it's a solid hope that's based upon the fact that Jesus is returning to make everything right. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope. They may not look at you and know that, hey, they may not say, hey, what's the reason for your hope? That's not what they see. They see that there's a difference between you and them. They see that you live a life that, what we're talking about is a life that's morally beautiful. That's what the lives that Christians should live. A life that's morally beautiful. Not that's just morally different than the people around us, but one that is morally different and humble and loving back to society around us. Because we know that the only difference between them and us is that Christ is our hope and we know that he's gonna return and he's gonna make everything that's wrong, he's gonna make it right. And he will rule and reign forever and there is nothing that we lose in this life for his sake that will not be paid back, Jesus told his disciples, in this life but also in the, in the ages that are to come. You cannot lose anything that you give to Christ. You cannot lose your life if you give it to him. They should notice a difference, and they should ask about it. So how do we respond when the people, when the society around us asks? And sometimes that ask may be like, hey, something's different about you. Tell me about that. Or it might just be, hey, why won't you do these things? Or it might be an angry response that says, why do you, you don't participate in these things, and they feel judged because you won't do those things, even if you're not judging them, and they push back at you angrily. Do you think you're better than, me, than I am? You're not doing that? You're, oh, you're not going to be taking that? You're not going to, because you, you must think you're better than I am. How do we respond? Peter tells us. Be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. How do we respond? We respond with gentleness and respect. How can we respond to people around us who do not understand even whenever they, they actually, they treat us, sometimes they treat us well, verse 13, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good, verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake. So he said, sometimes people look from you on the outside and they say, hey man, you're doing a good thing, keep it up. Sometimes they'll, they'll say, they'll respond negatively and there'll be persecution because of it. How do we respond? He says we respond in gentleness and respect to them, why? Well, back in verse 14, it says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. He's saying we don't fear them, first of all, and we don't disrespect them. Those are the two things that we don't do as believers. When the people around us look in, they see the difference, and they ask, "Why is there a difference?" And they ask either nicely or they ask angrily, "What do you think the difference is between us and you?" We respond with gentleness and respect, and we don't fear them. See, that's the beautiful thing about the gospel. The gospel comes to you, comes to us, and says, "You." i said this many times, I'll say it over and over again. You are far worse off than you ever thought that you were. Oh, man. But in Christ, you're far more loved than you ever dared to drink. That's the gospel. And you know what those two things do? You're far worse off than you ever thought you were. It brings a humility. That enables us to respond with humility and gentleness and respect to the people around us because we recognize the only difference between you and me that if you don't follow Christ, the only difference is that my eyes have been opened to who he is and what he has done for me, and I've simply received what he has done. I did nothing on my own. But then I'm far more loved than I ever dared to dream, yet who do I have to fear if God loves me through Christ? If he sent his only son to pay the penalty that I could not pay for my sin, what do I have to fear? I'm far worse off, I'm humble, but yet in Christ I'm far more loved than I ever dared to dream. I don't have to fear anybody around me. If they look at me and they don't understand, if they ostracize me, if my family puts me to the side, there are brothers and sisters all across the globe today that for them to follow Christ means that their family will disown them. There are people who are in wealthy families that to follow Christ means they will be cut off from their family's wealth. They'll be cut off from their family's love and relationship. And yet, they don't have to fear that disassociation because if Christ loves you with a never-ending, never-giving up, always and forever love, no matter what you have done, no matter what you are doing now, and no matter what you will do, then I don't have to fear anybody or what anything that this life can do to me because I know I'm playing for the long game and it's not my actions that get me there, it's only Christ's actions on my behalf that get me there. And so this life of good works that I live is not earning me anything, it's in response to what he has done for me. So I don't fear anything and neither do I disrespect them. I think that fear of what people around us think and a disrespect for the people who don't think and believe like we believe, are incredibly deep cancers that run the American church. We are afraid of being different, and yet, or, or we are yelling at them from the other side and disrespecting them. But the gospel response, the Jesus response, is one of humility and respect and one that does not fear how people around us will view us. Because a Christian is someone who has a radically altered view about God and ourselves. And that causes us to honor Christ as Lord, verse 15, and honor Christ as holy. Christ alone is Lord, and he alone is holy. And so therefore he is worthy of all of my life, no matter what anyone around me thinks and how they respond. And Peter also tells us that people won't always understand. Even when we live morally beautiful lives, even when we do good and we bear the burdens of society around us, that people around us will look and they won't understand why we're different. And some of them will, will, won't will understand from afar, they just kind of hold you off at arm's length. And some of them will actively and hatefully despise us and persecute us and use us. And The life of a Christian is not one that fights then, that then fights back against them. We continually don't fear them and we continually respond to them with gentleness and respect. Not because, not because we're uh, simply to respect them honestly, it's because we respect and honor the Lord And through him, we respect and honor the people around us who do not agree with us. When we we don't participate in their worship rituals, which is what, honestly, we have been duped in our society as Christians. There's a lot of things that we participate in as Christians in our greater society that are actually, in my opinion, worship rituals of a pagan society around us, that worship the God of money, the God of sex, the God of status, the God of uh, personal uh, good looks that, that, that worship all kinds of things, and there's all kinds of music and entertainment and uh, even following certain career paths in certain ways that our society is actually worshiping these gods, these pagan gods, and we participate in them going down that path. And when we don't participate in those worship rituals, when we follow Jesus' command about money and sex and family, then people will not understand why we live different lives. They'll say, come over here. Come over here and you can have more and better recreation. Come over here and you can make more money. Come over here and live like we do and you can have all your sexual fantasies realized. But we as Christians are called to follow and honor Christ as Lord and to honor him as holy alone. And they won't always respond well to that. But Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecute the prophets who are before you. This, I think it's at this level that Christianity looks even more beautiful. When people around us do not understand and they ostracize us, when they persecute us, when they set us to the side, when they would disassociate with us, whenever we respond with joy, And we rejoice and be glad because we understand our reward is great in heaven. Why do we take joy in suffering whenever it comes when we're doing good? When we're following the Lord and we're bearing the load of society around us? We take joy in suffering not because we just enjoy suffering, but we take joy in suffering because we have joy that we have Jesus. And if we have Jesus and it calls us to follow a path of suffering, then so be it. We rejoice because we have him. We rejoice when we aren't suffering and we rejoice when we are suffering because we have Christ. And we know that the long game is the game that he's playing and that we're playing with him and that we will not be put to shame if we follow him and we give him all that we have. And by doing so, you know what we're doing? We're following the pattern of Jesus, aren't we? What did Jesus do whenever he came? He left all the claims that he had as God and suffered and served as a man. He came and people misunderstood him and mistook him and persecuted him to the point of actual bloodshed and death and yet he did so humbly without fear of them but yet humbly and respectfully to the people around them because he knew that no, nothing that is given to God is ever lost. And when we, we see our Savior do that for us, when we know how sinful and, and frail and evil that we are at the core of who we are, then we see, we're moved to respond in the same way and follow the pattern that Jesus laid out for us. That's our hope in action. And in doing so, we're able to give a defense of our hope. We don't give a defense of God, we give a defense of our hope. And we let God deal with each person individually. For us as believers, that's what we celebrate when we celebrate even communion. When we come every week and we gather around the table, the broken body, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the bread and the juice. It signifies his body and his blood. We gather around, we see that Jesus suffered for our sake whenever he was getting nothing in return. Whenever he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And we celebrate him and we respond to the feast of his shed blood and his broken body on our behalf in joy. And we are asking him in doing so. We're saying, God, give us grace to follow your pattern In doing so, let's commit ourselves as the church, as we, as you come forward in a couple moments and partake of the body and the blood of Christ. There'll be two stations on each side. You take the matzo bread and you dip it in the juice, and you come back to the center aisle. As you do. Would you, would you do so in responding, saying, God, as I take this bread and I take this juice and I dip it here, would you give me the grace that I need to be this kind of believer, a believer who lives, who's very different than the world around us, who bears the burdens of society around us, who lives a morally beautiful life in response to all that you've done for me? And would you let people around me see you in this and glorify you in the end? Let me not be put to shame because I know that nothing that I give you is ever lost. Let me pray and let us come before for communion as you see fit. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.